All right, that's the theme of our sermon series, Love Is. And it leads us to a place where love never fails. This morning we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13. Finally moving on to verse 5. Verse 4 was, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant. Verse 5, does not, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. I want us to focus in on those phrases. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. If I were to say to you, you know, have you seen any increase rudeness in our society of late? And some of you basically kind of laugh, like from the selfish social media posts to the riots to whatever. It's like, yeah, um, one third of public school teachers are seriously considering leaving uh, their job because they just say they're sick and tired of the rude students they have to deal with day in and day out. 73% of us, so, and, I, and I think that number is low, but when you survey people and say, do you believe society is more rude now than it was 20 or 30 years ago? You know, everybody's shaking their head out there. It's like, yeah. 73% of Americans say, yeah, I believe it is. It's worse. Why is it worse? Why, why are we acting in such an unbecoming, self-seeking manner? Shouldn't be that way for us. 1 Corinthians 13, the love God gives us does not act unbecoming. Does not seek its own. We should be, of all people, those who act with a filter. And that filter is the love of God. We're going to treat people differently because we have been granted and given the love of God. Um, you might have a little different translation. It may, your translation may just simply say, if you have the NIV, love is not rude. Regardless of the translation, whether you've got love does not act unbecoming, love is not rude, both say it doesn't seek its own, uh, the concept is the same, and that is that there is clearly a proper way of behaving and an improper way of behaving. God is declaring if it's, if it's unbecoming, then that's the improper way. There is a becoming behavior. Uh, there is a selfish behavior, and there is a selfless behavior. And Christians are to be those who are known as not selfish, not thinking more about me. A lot of people are just living, surely, saying it's about me and it's less about you. That's a selfish behavior. And that's one of the ways it's being defined here as unbecoming. What is unbecoming? What is improper? Well, clearly the context gives us what's improper is seeking ourselves before we think about others. Um, did a song for you last week. I'm not going to do one this week, okay? Well, I could. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know. Aretha, what does she want? She wants a little respect, and a lot of other people are claiming they never get it. We want respect. We want to be treated properly. 
what kind of treatment is that? Um, treating others is more important. Treating others as though you consider them, you're considerate of them. Um, maybe saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Oh, no, no, don't say that. I heard so many people say, don't say yes, sir, don't say yes, ma'am. Why? I mean, I grew up saying it. Why? Because it makes me feel old. And then I think, you are old. <laughs> maybe it's Satan's scheme to get us to not think about distinctions we we all want to be the same we all want to be equal and yet there's distinctions that old people should not be treated the same as young people and young people should not be treated as parents authority should be treated one way those under authority should be treated another way men should be treated like men and women should be treated like women there are lots of distinctions God gives us in his word and when we say, I don't want certain distinctions because I, I want to be, be young. I want to be equal with the young folks again. We don't realize that by removing those distinctions, those are the distinctions that give us honor, that give us respect, that give us a proper way of dealing with one another. And they're crucial for us to maintain, to uh, adopt... Uh, a concept that there's a proper way of living, you have to adopt certain distinctions. And God makes those distinctions for us. The clearest one is found in Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at that just because it's, it's just crucial to the context. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. There's the context. Love does not seek its own. Does it just look out for itself? Love is looking out for the interest of others. Love is, according to this text, humbly, humbling, humbling ourselves with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's what we have to do if we're going to have proper respect for one another. We've got to see the other person is a person I need to honor. I need to respect. I need to give them what they claim they're losing. Respect. Honor. Love is showing respect to others um, now there's a caution here and I want to deal with it just briefly as soon as you start saying let's talk about proper behavior we could come up with a list of rules and as soon as we come up with a list of rules they could be okay rules I, I remember when we were raising our kids we we had on our refrigerator I don't 22 24 rules these are the rules of the house and we, got, we copied those from somebody else because we weren't smart enough to come up with our own until we read those, theirs and was like, oh, we could have done that, you know, kind of thing. But we came up with rules. Well, that's okay because those, those were the rules of our household. The parents can, are the authority in the home and can establish those rules. The problem is when we start saying, why don't you have those 24 rules? 
And we start judging you for not having the same rules that we've got. That's what I want us to caution us about. There's certain authorities can make up their own rules. Our government can make certain rules. Our household can make certain rules. Our church can make certain rules because those are three different authorities. But as soon as you start judging someone else that's not under your authority, um, as though they don't act or speak properly because they don't follow your rules, well, they say, well, I didn't even know your rules. I'm not under your rules. We've got to see that just because we've made a good rule doesn't mean everybody else has to follow it. That's not going to make them proper. And it really just gets us in what we call legalism. You know, and, and you've all been there. Somebody who says, you know, I think it's proper to have the shirt tail in, not the shirt tail out. I think it's proper to, you know, to write thank you notes on paper, not email. You start coming up with all sorts of rules. I think it's proper for this, proper for that. Well, who says? Then you come up with rules, and then you start judging people for their rules. Look at Mark chapter 7, 6, and, six through 8. Key passage that we just have to keep in mind that we don't judge others improperly. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the Pharisees. They were known as the legalist church folks of His day. Mark 7, verse 6, And He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, It is written, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. This is why it's vain for them. Because they are teaching as doctrines. The precepts, you could put rules. They're teaching as doctrines, the precepts, the rules of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. A legalist is someone who is judging others for not keeping their rules in distinction from the rules of God what's, what's the antidote to legalism the antidote to legalism is biblical law the antidote to legalism is biblical law see the problem with legalists is not that they keep rules the problem is they're, their rules man centered rules not God's rules. There's a difference between our rules and God's rules. Christ says what they're doing is they're teaching the rules of men and neglecting the rules of God. We're all under the rules of God. We're not under all of the rules of men. When I come up with my 24 rules and then I start judging you because you don't follow them, that's not proper behavior. That's acting unbecoming. What's proper is that we find out what God's law is and that we follow God's, because God, in other words, God's defining what's proper and improper. Instead of letting men determine what is proper and improper. If you let men determine it, you're always arguing. Whether it's proper or improper based on your own preferences. But let God be the standard. Let God's word be the standard. And then we know what is proper and and what is improper. What we find is that God gives us categories uh, of, of proper behavior instead of a whole long list of rules that makes it easy for us to behave properly. But we've got to become committed to God's Word. 
uh, just remind you, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a very popular passage that you've heard many times. Let me refresh your memory. Memory. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And catch this. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The old King James says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good thing. In other words, all you need is the Word of God. All Scripture is profitable to the degree that you will be thoroughly furnished for every good thing. You will know what is proper behavior through the Word of God alone. I don't need the Word of God plus your rules. I don't need the Word of God plus my rules. I need the Word of God alone to determine what is proper behavior and improper behavior. So now we can go back. Love is not acting unbecoming. It's not in an improper way. So let the Scripture guide you. Let the Scripture guide your thoughts. When you say, well, that's just not proper. That's just rude. Well, how do you know? Where in the Bible tells you that that's rude or not rude? What is Scripture saying to us so that we understand it? And we're not just making our judgment call, but we're getting God's judgment call. Um, one of the things I really uh, liked about uh, living in King Street for just a short period of my life, five years, uh, right out of seminary, they just had a good old South Southern respect for everybody. And it kind of caught me off guard at first. You know, I showed up to town to be the new pastor and everybody started calling me Mr. David, even old people. I mean, old people. They say, Mr. David, so good to have you. And I'm thinking, I'm only 25 years old. You've got to be as old as Methuselah. Why are you calling me Mr.? And the response I got was, well, isn't there something in the Scripture about honoring your pastors, especially those who preach and teach? And I thought, yeah. See, biblical category for what's proper and improper. And they began to share with me just their example. We treat Certain people, because of their authority, because of their job, with honor. It's just right to respect them. We treat parents that way. We treat children differently. We treat our governments one way. We treat other people differently. This, these are just biblical categories. And so it got me thinking about, well, what are the categories? That God would, would look into our lives and say, this is the way to treat someone with proper respect. And this is what would be improper in that situation. So that's what I want us to look at. First of all, the ways. The ways God's Word describes respect that we give to others. And we, we can respect others, as you see on your outline, in our speech. We can respect people through our actions. We can respect people through our physical appearance. We can respect people through our possessions and our wealth. Let's look at each of them real quick. Uh, our speech. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, 21 through 24. Proverbs 16, 21 through 24. 
The wise in heart will be called understanding. And sweetness of speech. Don't miss the speech part. The sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Remember, this is God speaking. This is what I want to see. This is what I consider proper. God is telling us, I consider a sweet speech, a persuasive speech. That's a good thing. Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it. But the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. And he adds persuasiveness to his lips. Well, you take that with the verse we read just earlier. If, if we instruct our mouth, we use our intellect just before we speak, and we try to find ways to put sweetness into it, that we're speaking sweetly, we're speaking smartly. Verse 24, pleasant words. That will lead us to pleasant words. And they are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. When you open your mouth, do you think that way? What would be proper speech? Well, I need to think about what I say before I say it, or it might not be proper. I need to think about how I can say it sweetly, how I can encourage, how I can build up, how I can be as persuasive as I can for Christ, for God and His Word, how I can give them something that they like to hear, but it's right to hear, because it's the truth and the Word of God. That's speaking in a a respectful way. Uh, Look over at Ephesians 4. 15 and 29, as we think about speech to Christians, as well as we'll look at speech to non-Christians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So to one another, we're supposed to speak truth. Obviously, we wouldn't want to be speaking falsehood. We'd want to speak truth, but also in love. I want to build up the body of Christ. I want to speak in such a way that my brothers and sisters in Christ grow more like Christ. And look at verse 29, the same passage. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Then it defines that. Only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's like, you may know some things, I know some things that you're not ready for yet. I remember one of my favorite passages, Jesus looking back at his disciples in his third year of ministry saying, I have so much more to teach you. But you're not ready yet. Jesus didn't open his mouth. His audience was ready for what he had to say. And he wanted to say those things which would encourage and build up. That's proper speech that we give to one another in Christ. Um, It's thinking about what we're saying. Is this being said in love? Is this going to encourage? Is this going to build up? Is this needful? Do they need it right now? Will this give them grace in these anxious times? And then a passage for the non-Christian speech as well. Look at Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. It says, Conduct yourselves, and this is us, 
true believers who have the love of God, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Those are the non-Christians outside our group. Making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. God says, think about it. Uh, One of the first things we should always be doing in a conversation with somebody if we, don't, if we haven't met them yet and we don't know them. First question we should ask, Christian or non-Christian? Christian or non-Christian? If you don't ask that question, how do you do evangelism? How do you, how do you share the gospel? You, you, you're asking that question, am I talking to a Christian or non-Christian? If it's a Christian, proper speech would be to build this person up. Then be asking yourself, what can I say to encourage them, to give them grace? Non-Christian, what can I say to be winsome? How can I add a little salt, a little flavor to the conversation? How can I season this in such a way they will see the beauty and the glories of Christ? That's proper speech. So when you're thinking about what's proper or improper, in the category of speech, God gives us the answers. that We can begin to think through uh, proper speech. Move on. Second. How, what's proper with our actions? Look at Luke 14, 8 through 10. Luke 14, 8 through 10. I found, I think it's that vent right there. When I start preaching, it blows and it just, it helps me turn my pages. It's like, it's wonderful. I like it. Luke 14, 8, through, 8 and 10 says... When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. Then verse 14. And you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid by the resurrection of the righteous. Again, you know the overarching principle is to consider others as more important than yourselves. So how do you do that in your actions? Well, when you come into a house, when you come into a room, when you come into an auditorium, let other people have the best seats. Why would you do that? You paid good money for those seats. There's times, let me let you have these seats. I want to show you respect. That's the loving thing to do. There's times, and of course there's times where everybody's got their assigned seats, but there's, there's times when we could show people love by just really preferring them ahead of ourselves, putting, putting them in front of us, giving them the best seats. Just wanted to kind of give you an example of God saying, this is a way to do it. It's okay if you get invited to the front later on but, and take it, but give them the, the best seats, the right seats first. Show love, show respect. How about in our physical outward appearance? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly garments. Well, obviously... Um, we could argue a long time what is modest, what's immodest, but there's certainly clothes involved, and there's clothes involved saying women should have a certain 
appearance that's, and this passage goes on, that's winsome, that's encouraging. Um, 1 Peter 3 mentions it as well. Um, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, I won't take the time to read it. Uh, uh, you have that passage that says, Men don't wear women's clothing. Women don't wear men's clothing. God says there's something proper about keeping a distinction between men and women. Men should be men. Women should be women. God made us male and female. Again, like I said, Satan's scheme is to try to remove distinctions and make us all the same. And when you're all the same, you don't know how to honor anybody anymore. It's robbing us of respect, which is why society is growing rude because we're missing biblical distinctions for honor uh, there's a way to dress how, how do you dress with the person you're going to see in mind considering others is more important than yourself what would be the right dress for this occasion where I'm speaking to someone so that I can speak to them properly and I'm not a distraction by the way I dress. Those are the categories God's giving to us. And if you keep it with categories instead of creating our own rules, then it works in every nation, tribe, and tongue. Where the dress is so completely different than our dress here. All right. Uh, also, our wealth and our possession. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Think about uh, tithes and offerings with me for a minute. And also, uh, I'll just go ahead and cover them both real quick. Chapter 11 of Proverbs, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. I want us to think about honoring God and then honoring man. Those are our categories. To honor God says, honor God with your first fruits, with, from your produce, from your wealth. Tithes and offerings is easy. It's just showing God respect. It's really what it is. It's, it's, it's honor. God, you have created me. God, you have saved me. I don't want to come before the one who created and saved me empty-handed. I want to give something back. And God says, it is an honorable thing to give back. Give me from your first fruits. So one of the ways we honor God is by giving to Him. He says, start with 10%. If you, want to, you ask me how much, that's a tithe. Give sacrificially. Give an offering. That's what we do. And then you see all the way through Proverbs this idea about balances and weights. Give honor to other people by not cheating them. The balances and the weights are if, if it's whatever, six pounds of this for this amount, make sure it's six pounds and not, you know, don't change the, the balance, the weight, so that you're cheating someone. You honor people with your wealth, your possessions, when you treat them fairly. When you give them a fair for the, the money you receive uh, in, in return. That's the way we use our wealth, our possessions, to honor 
to respect. Love is honorable. It's respecting others. Now, I've dealt with categories, our speech, our actions, our appearance, our possessions, the who. Who, who should get this honor? Well, you kind of already see it, but let me, let me break it down based on what Scripture is telling us. There's a sense in which everybody gets it, but that everybody doesn't get honor and respect in the same degree or in the same way. That's why the who categories are important. Look at uh, every person first. Romans 12, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Uh, so everyone should get some preference. But then look at Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Notice the distinction. God says, I, I want you to give preference to everybody. I, I, want you to, I want you to learn to love everybody. But, you know, especially if you, if you only have so much time, so much money, whatever, especially love the church. Because it's for the church that I died. It's for the church that I came to bring a people home to heaven. So especially love them. So God, you see God's saying, the who. It's everyone. In distinction from the church, but also in distinction we give to the church. There are other verses like Proverbs 26, verse 8. It says, don't give to the fool. So there's a sense in which, in the context there, the fool being the person who's just going to um, destroy the gift, lose the gift, in the sense that they're, they're going to be foolish, they're going to do the wrong things with what you give. So make distinctions. There are people we give to, but we do so with distinctions. How about those people who disagree with us? Would that be a fool? And then God says, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Look at Romans chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. Romans 14, 12 through 13. Here we have some principles of freedom. We're, we're free to do different things. And because of that, we're going to disagree on some things. Romans 14, verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. Um, there needs to be love for people that we disagree with. We need to be kind to people. Uh, they're going to have to answer to God for what you disagree on. We'll have to answer to God for what we disagree on. But we need to love. We need to respect others. Um, how about people who are just flat out rude? You know, I'm trying my best to act in a becoming way, and they're not. They're, they're making fun of me. They're being rude to me about that. Again, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 17, says, Never pay back evil for evil. So somebody starts mocking you for your sweet speech. Don't pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, so those who are rude, let's show them respect. It may be the only way they learn respect. 
is by the way we're speaking to them. Um, if you don't bring light into the room, it's, there's only darkness. Number four, those who are seemingly less gifted. Well, I don't need to respect them because they're beneath me. Well, let's think about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 23 says, and 24, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable. So they're, they don't deserve honor, right? They're beneath honor or should certainly have less honor. He says, no, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less uh, presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Um, God wants us to see other people need honor and respect, even the people that we think are beneath us. We need to be respecting them as well. Of course, the elderly is one of God's categories. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. Um, sometimes that is clearly a rude Thing that's happening in our society where you see people on in the media treating people well, you old man you know you old woman and it's just it's rude we know it's rude because there's a category of respecting the elderly uh, that God has given us that we need to be aware of uh, Leviticus 19 verse 32 says you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Wow. I mean, God puts a little punch to that one. It's like, basically, I am the Lord. I'm coming for you if you don't do this. There's a sense in which I have put people on earth, and I give them long life, and I teach them many things, and you need to rise up before them and learn because they're my vessels for the next generation to teach and to instruct. There's lots of verses on that. I won't take the time to go through that, but uh, learning to respect those who are older than you and uh, start asking them some questions. What have they learned in their years? What do they see that's going on? There's so much wisdom you can gain when you stop to respect those who've lived before you, who've walked down the path, um, God has been teaching them much, and we need to recognize it and respect it. Uh, number six, those in authority. God says, respect people in authority. And then God gives us three spheres of authority throughout the Scripture. There's the sphere of the home. And I gave you the verse, Exodus 20, verse 12. That's the fifth commandment. You know that. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Because I put them in authority over you. If you want to live, you want to live long life, honor this authority. And then he gives us the sphere of the church. We have one of our membership vows. Recognize this church is elder rule. God has put elders in the church. And those elders need to be honored. Meaning we will submit to their will, their decisions for the church. And we, we will go with that because God's placed them over us. And then there's the sphere of the government. And uh, you could go to Romans 13, 1 through 7, where God says, I have put governments in every nation, every locality, uh, and you need to honor them in this civil realm. Why does God give us these authorities to honor? Otherwise, we have chaos. 
says, honor those in the home that are the authority. Honor those in the church realm, have authority in the civil realm. Of course, you've got a big breakdown from uh, in our country. Presidents, the vice presidents, congressmen, representatives, local government, goes to the teachers. These authorities that God has placed in the civil, civil realm, we need to show them honor, respect. In other words, they're making the rules that we will follow then. And we're always trying to evaluate are those good rules based on the Word of God. Um, Let me just show you one. Lamentation 4, verse 16. When I came across this, I said, I would have never thought about going to Lamentations uh, for this. But two categories are right there in the same one. That's why I wanted to throw throw it to you. Lamentation 4, Verse 16. The presence of the Lord has scattered them. He will not continue to regard them. They did not honor the priest. That's church. They did not favor the elders. Could be church again. Could be society elders. Could even be the home. But you just begin to see as... Jeremiah is speaking there. It says one of the reasons we're going into captivity, one of the reasons our world is being destroyed is because we didn't honor the authorities God placed over us. Honor is important to God. There's a proper behavior and an improper behavior uh, with those in authority. Uh, Women, God distinguishes throughout Scripture. Honor for women and honor for men. And they're not the same. Exodus 21, I love this passage. I'm going to run out of time, but one of my favorite passages that I I wish we could get back to. Um, Exodus 21, 22. This is kind of the case laws after the Ten Commandments were given. Let me tell you what I mean by that. And this this is just one I love. Exodus 21, 22 says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child. In other words, what we have here We've got two men fighting. And while they're fighting, they end up striking a woman. This is where we began to understand, and we used to do this, hey guys, y'all are fighting, take that outside. Why should you take it outside? Because there are women in here. So, there are women in here. And a woman is a vessel of life. You might strike her even accidentally and destroy her womb. Or there may be a child there. It's what God has said. She is my vessel of life. You don't fight in her presence. If she shows up, you stop. You take it outside. That's honor. That's respect for a woman because God created them special. And he shows us that. I, I remember going to the Masters Golf Tournament one year and all of us were you know, on the sidelines trying to look at our celebrities and one of them just ranted and raved hit a bad shot and started cussing. I said, man, this is a public place. There's women and children. You don't talk like that. You need to be respectful of whose presence you're in. We need to think about what's proper and improper behavior to women, to children. Then I could go on, but I'm running out of time. Number nine, God ordained institutions. There's certain institutions God says you always honor. Marriage 
is the first. Hebrews 13.4. The marriage bed, Hebrews 13.4, should be held in honor. Honor. You respect it. Man and a woman have a place of honor when they are together married. Outside of that relationship, that's not honorable. Hebrews 13, meaning sex outside of marriage. Not an honorable situation. The marriage bed, those who are married, male and female together, should be honored. Um, Hebrews 13, 4 is all about that. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 30. Thinking about the sanctuary of God. Leviticus 19, verse 30. You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere or honor my sanctuary. Again, with that little punch, I am the Lord. Like, this is proper. Why has there always been a gathering of God's people? God says, that's why I have created what I've created. It's for to have a people who worship me. So revere that. Honor that. I have designated one day out of seven since the beginning of time for my people to gather and worship me. Honor my Sabbath day. It's the only command where I say, remember to keep it holy. Set apart. Never neglect. It's proper behavior. It's love that's becoming. When we say, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, we have to use all our heart, mind, soul, and strength towards proper speech and behavior and even revering the sanctuaries of God, the Sabbaths of God. Uh, that's proper love for God. And then the last, obviously, God Himself is a category of the who. Who should we honor? There's none we should honor more than God. One passage I could give you is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. It says, uh, I won't look it up, just quote it to you. The King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That must mean I'm through. The bell's ringing. <laughs> to do all of this, I don't know about you, I need a miracle. I wasn't born being this respectful and this honorable. I need a transformation of heart. I need God to change me. God, make me a good lover. I don't want to be improper. I don't want to be unbecoming. I don't want to be self-seeking. But my nature is selfish. I used to tell my wife, don't worry about the kids. They're climbing the tree. She said, David, get them down. No, our nature is selfish. They're going to be reaching for whatever it takes to preserve self. That's what we do. But becoming behavior is... How do we get out of that? I'm not seeking for myself. I'm trying to catch others. I'm trying to respect and take care of someone else. That would be becoming behavior. Love is not unbecoming. It's showing respect to others first. God primary. Others secondary. If you're like me, you say, well, 
Yeah, I need a changed heart. The changed heart only comes through Christ. Ask Christ to change you. Come into my life. Change my heart. Change my focus, my direction, so that I can be like you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's so easy for us in this day and age to be rude because everyone around us is rude. Father, help us. We could be the light of the world. We could be the salt of the earth if you would help us, if you would change us, if you would enable us to repent of our self-seeking ways and seek others first. Seek them more. Seek you primarily. Father, we ask for that kind of transformation. We want the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.